0: turn to Acts chapter 10, the book of Acts chapter 10. This morning is a a morning that we do something like this about once a quarter. We call it Open House Sunday. It's really an attempt on our part just to, to install some handles on the church and on the people of the church and help you to get a moment to connect with people, whether it's just an introduction in the back of the church or somebody getting to know you for the first time or... Uh, Coming to lunch afterwards, I know, I think Jeff mentioned that we have a lunch available for those of you guys who are visiting, or you've just started to attend the church, it will give us a chance to meet you in that setting as well. Or you got a chance to hear some of the stories, like Brian's story this morning, how God has affected his life. Well, by way of introduction, I want to introduce you to another man, and this man is found in Scripture. And, you know, when you think about it, the Bible is preserved uniquely by God for us to benefit from it. It's a strategically designed book by God. Not everything that ever could have been written in this book was. So certain stories are included, and many of them are not. And so we come to a story today about a man named Cornelius. And he might be the most famous Bible character that you've come across in your reading of the Bible. But he gets some serious real estate. The dude gets a whole chapter in the Bible. There's not a lot of people who can say that. You have a short list of folks who we know as much about as we do about this man named Cornelius. So let's meet a man today named Cornelius, and let's meet this man and his need as well. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? He said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging with one named Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Lord, thank you for a man named Cornelius. But thank you more importantly for what you did in this man's life and who he became and how he helps us today to understand you and to understand ourselves. So, Lord, open our hearts to your word as only you can, where we don't presume that we're smart enough to figure you out. We need your help. Help us today Jesus' name. Let me introduce you to this man named Cornelius because interestingly, he is a, spoken of as a, as a devout man, a man who actually feared God. But when we see his story, a lot is going to, about to take place for this man's life. And so it's interesting to, to unpack who he is. He's from a town called Caesarea. It was named after Augustus Caesar on the coast of Israel in the Mediterranean Sea area. Seaport, probably about 50,000 people lived in this city. Would have been a a mixture of folks, some Jewish, Roman citizens, Greeks in their background, a variety of religious beliefs would have been here. Would have been a very uh, sort of contemporary city, a port city, a lot of hustle and bustle and trade and important folks from Rome lived in this region and in this particular city. And it says that Cornelius was a centurion, which means he was a a Roman soldier, but not just a typical Roman soldier. He was, he was the leader. He was a captain, if you will, of a 100 soldiers. And that, that made him both an influential and powerful man, also made him a wealthy man. The centurions made about 16 times as much in their salary as the average soldier made. So here's a man who is living in this hustle and bustle city. He is a prominent Roman official, but what I find most interesting about him is these thoughts that are shared. He was a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people. And he prayed continually. I love the fact that the Bible describes him not just a devout man, but, but he's a devout man who feared God with all of his family. So this guy's legit. He's for real. He's influential. His own, his own family respects the direction and course of his life. He gave alms, but he didn't just kind of, you know, throw a couple of bucks here. He gave alms generously, the Bible says. And he prayed, but, but not just every once in a while when he got himself in a crack. He prayed continuously. The, what's interesting is to see, this is a man, Cornelius, and if you understand a little bit of the time of the Bible, you've got, a, you've got these huge social, racial tensions going on during this time. He's a man who is a Roman, he's a Gentile by way of the way in which the Bible would label him. So he's, he's a non-Jew. And, you know, this book is written into the religious context of a Jewish nation. And so there would be some friction. There's some real issues for this man. It's a big deal for him to be a God-fearer, for him to align himself with the nation of Israel. You understand, he's a, he's a Roman He's a Gentile Roman. His background would have been his family and his peeps, they'd they'd have been connected to Apollo or maybe Zeus or Jupiter, Diana. That, That was the gods of the Romans and the Greeks during that day. And to complicate things more, it wasn't just about religion when you connected with Jupiter or Apollo. It was about lifestyle. It was about social class. It was kind of like joining a fraternity a little bit. You know, once, once you identified yourself with this God or that God, certain other people would identify with you. So you could understand the politics that could get involved and why you worship the God you do and why you might add that person's God to your list and he becomes your God as well. So you had multiple gods for the most part and you had kind of some allegiances there, some political party feel to being connected. And yet this man chooses monotheism. He chooses to be a God-fearer. He chooses to fear and pray to the God of the Israelites. Now, if you're a Roman, you just conquered these Israelites. They're sort of peasant people, and you rule over them. And your job is taking money and taxes from them and mistreating them. And you find yourself as the captain of a 100, and you're going to submit yourself to the God of these people whom you've conquered. And then you're going to try and get around this God. And that's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Because you understand the the Jews that you're trying to associate with, they don't want anything to do with you. They don't like you. You're, You're the captain of those people who come and take our taxes and exploit our businesses and do horrible things to our family. You're one of them. Can you imagine this guy trying to attend a church service? He had some real challenges on his hands. But yet, this guy pulls all that off And then when we read this story, there's this huge orchestration about to take place. God's going to orchestrate these events to send a messenger to Cornelius and announce something to him. God's going to go behind the scenes, as we'll see in a moment, and do all kinds of things to meet this guy. Now, Now seriously, after what you know of Cornelius, is he really a poster child for that much effort? I mean, he's got good things being said about him. He's God-fearing, he prays, he gives alms. He's overcome racial tensions and rejection by people in order to associate with this one true God. Aren't there some worse people out there in the world that God could have sent the apostle Peter to go help them out, to go announce the good news that the Bible presents? I mean, does this guy really need all this work to take place? He sounds like a pretty good guy, doesn't he? Now, if you read the Bible very much, you're going to find out there's a lot of pretty good guys in the Bible who you might be surprised the Bible presents them in a posture of need. They're pretty good guys, but they're really, really in need. Right? When Jesus interacts with a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. And, and unlike some of the other Pharisees, he sounds like a pretty nice guy. So he's religious, and he's a nice guy, and he comes to Jesus, and he begins to inquire about Jesus. Who are you? I mean, you're doing some amazing things. And Jesus kind of cuts to the chase with Nicodemus and tells him, Nicodemus, I don't know if you know this, but you're in great need. Unless you are born again, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. This guy's blown away. He's a good religious man. And Jesus tells him that. Caiaphas was the high priest of Israel. In the land of religion, in the nation of Israel, you can't get any higher than that. Right? I mean, our culture, he'd kind of be be a pope. He'd be the top guy in the world of religion. Caiaphas was the high priest behind the orchestrating of crucifying Jesus Christ. How many of you can agree that it sounds like Caiaphas had a little bit of a need to get some things right? But he was a religious guy, respected by the religious community. The Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, was a man named Saul from Tarsus. A deeply religious man who God sees it fit to have a personal visit with Saul. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, is going to come back to earth and going to stand before and pronounce himself to Saul of Tarsus. Really, I mean, I know Saul sounds like well, maybe if you know a little bit about his resume, he's got some problems, but he's got a good resume. He's a zealous man. He believes in God. He believes in the God of the Old Testament. He believes in the Old Testament. Right? This is some of the things Saul would have said about himself. Saul says, brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. He said, my manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time that according to the strictest party of our religion, I've lived as a Pharisee. Another place he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, of Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, which he thought was doing it wrong. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now that's the guy that Jesus Christ, of all the people on earth, doesn't show up in a jail to some horrible individual who's got a rap sheet a mile long and introduce himself. He shows up to this man, Saul of Tarsus, with that resume to make his life right with God. So whether you're Whether you're Nicodemus, you're a man in need. Whether you're Saul of Tarsus, you're a man in need. Whether you're Cornelius, even with your great resume, you are a man in need. Look in verse 3 there with me. Acts chapter 10. About the ninth hour of the day. So this is about 3 in the afternoon. He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. All right, quick show of hands. How many of you guys have had a conversation with an angel lately? All right, this, is, this is a unique event, isn't it? He says he was terrified. Now, this is, this is a captain of 100. This is a Roman soldier. This guy's as bad as they get. It's amazing how you can be really, really bad until an angel shows up. <laughs> and then you're really, really terrified. He has this encounter with the angel. Now, he's encountering the messenger of God. And he's going to get freaked out. He's going to have. He's going to have. Can we all agree here? He's about to have a serious religious experience. I don't know whether he walked away. You know, like you know, some of us in here have had religious experiences, right? I mean, you've something happened. There was a moment, and you know, maybe you felt tingly all over. You felt warm. You've, you've had. Many people have had some of these experiences. People people travel places and experience some phenomena. That happens, and they come away from that, and they talk about that, and it, it's affected their lives. Maybe some miraculous event has happened in somebody's life that you know, that, that you know this was a terrible situation, and then this event happened, and you walk away from that event. Now, can I help you see something about Cornelius, though? He has this amazing encounter with an angel from God, but he's still not fixed. When we get to the end of the story, you're going to see at the end of this story, Cornelius' life gets made whole. At this point, even though he's encountered an angel and he can go tell all kinds of people, and he'd be unique because we don't, you know, nobody in here raise their hand. So he'd be unique. He'd have a story to tell. He could write a book, at least start a blog, I'm sure. <laughs> but this isn't his story. Listen, let me, let me, let me warn us because I've met people who have had profound effective religious experiences, and at the end of the day, what they're left telling you about is that experience. Now, at the end of the day, you're going to find out Cornelius is is not so much about that experience as much as recognizing this experience was a signpost to point him to an experience that he needed to have. I think sometimes we don't get in touch with that. We have these profound religious moments would get tingly, whatever it is, and we almost feel like that was where this was supposed to go. No, no, no. It was, it was a signpost. It was God interrupting your life to get you to look somewhere else to something else. So he experiences the signpost here. Let's keep reading. He stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now... Send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, <clears throat> who is called Peter. Now, I, I want to bring us behind the scenes here for a moment. Because we're, we're meeting this guy named Cornelius, but uniquely, because you don't get to do this for many people in the Bible. Uniquely, we get to see both Cornelius' life and we get to peer behind the curtain. You know, you all remember the Wizard of Oz? You know, <clears throat> there was stuff going on behind the curtain. Well, we're going to peer behind the curtain. God is doing stuff. Right, if you just just in Cornelius, you're meeting this man who got freaked out by an angel. And now he's being told to send some people to go get another guy named Simon Peter who's 30 miles away in a town called Joppa. What you don't realize unless you're reading the Bible is all this is the work of God behind the scenes. God's at work in this man's life. God has been at work in this man's life, bringing him to this point in his life. God sends an angel. God did that, right? God dispatched an angel to interrupt this man's daily routine. But do you notice something very interesting here? Angels are often, their messengers of God. Do you notice what the angel doesn't tell him? The angel doesn't tell him how to get fixed. The angel tells him there's a guy in Joppa. He's going to tell you how to get fixed. That's very interesting. I think very important too. Because sometimes when we come to interact with God, we get this attitude like it's <clears throat> well, you know, my religion's a private matter. It's me and God. Yeah, but see, for God, God has not made it a private matter. Now, you can make it a private matter, but you don't really don't have permission from God to make it a private matter. See, if this guy had this privatization idea going on inside of him, he probably would have never sent for this stranger named Simon Peter to come to his house, especially knowing that he was a Jew. And that he was a Gentile. But yet he obeys the voice. And God is at work preparing Cornelius, but God is at work elsewhere preparing a man named Simon Peter. Now we would think Simon Peter, he's the Apostle Peter. It's his job, isn't it? It's his job to go tell people about Christ. That's what he's supposed to do. Well, that's a little more complicated than you think. <clears throat> Look in verse 9. The next day, As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. So this is the next day at about 12 o'clock. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. The voice came to him again a second time. This You might remember who, the, who we're dealing with here, right? This is the Apostle Peter. This, this man is not deterred from his knuckleheadedness easily. <laughs> the voice came to him a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, <laughs> right? This is the same guy who could deny the Lord three times. This happened three times, and the thing was taken, taken up at once to now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. This is a huge moment. Peter has grown up as a Jew. And he didn't make up some of his own rules. God actually made up some rules for the Jews as a means of making them a distinct people from the world. He said, look, I want you guys to stick out like a thumb. I want people to notice that there's some different things about you. I want you to relate to each other this way. I want you to treat one another this way. I want you to relate to God this way. I want you to eat these foods. I want you to live in this land. God gave them instructions. So certain foods were okay for them to eat and certain ones were not. And then this sheet comes lower down out of heaven. And there's a bunch of food on that sheet that's not okay. The God who makes the rules, though, I said, No, no, now I'm telling you, it's okay, Peter. No, no, you don't understand, Lord, I've never, I've never done that. I've never eaten some of this stuff. It would make me unclean. And what's interesting is the implication here is the view that Peter would have had about Cornelius is that that dude is unclean, he's common. He, he's, he's not the recipient of goodness from God the way I am. He's unclean. I was affected when Brian, he had no idea what I'm preaching on today. And his testimony referred to him feeling unclean until he met God. That's exactly what's happening right here. There would have been practices for all of humanity, but the Gentiles would have highlighted practices that were offensive to God, unclean. And now you have God telling Peter, Peter, do not regard those people that way any longer. I'm I'm sending you to these people, right? And as soon as this sheet illustration is done, these folks show up. Here's what I love about this story. The angel shows up and tells Cornelius, send men to Joppa, right? Does it look like God knows the end of the story? But it's going to be almost 24 hours before the Lord's going to even have a conversation with Peter and let him in on this. And then he's going to have to repeat the trick three times to get the dude to go along with this. What if after three times he's still, which he actually is still scratching his head, right? It does say that. Peter was inwardly perplexed. It's three times. This is, this is remedial sheet lowering now. <laughs> We've covered the lesson three times, Peter. And he's still, hmm, I wonder what that means. <laughs> what if he never would have got it? And God's name is on the line. He says, send the Joppa. And these guys come back and go, <laughs> sorry, that dude, Simon, he acted like he wouldn't want to come. <laughs> Something happens. God is both at work preparing Cornelius, and God is also at work preparing the one who will bring the message that will heal Cornelius. Listen, I I don't know which person you might need to be taking notes on, but God is at work in both places. There are people here that have come to be affected by Christ. And they know others who desperately need to be affected by Christ. You know, they have corneliuses in their life. Right, can, you, can you take some notes here and be encouraged? God is at work behind the scenes in the corneliuses that are in your life. And God is at work procuring those who will take the healing of God to them. God's at work there too. God's at work there even when those who are supposed to be going are scratching their head, confused and perplexed, and saying at first, I can't go to that. God, I can't do that. God, you understand? My interpretation of you and religion says, I can't do that. Now, how many of you know God still overcame that? At the end of the day, the storyline follows what God wanted to happen, not Cornelius's abilities and not Peter's abilities, but God's abilities to reach into this man's life. I think I put this in your outline. Here's what's clear from behind the scenes. The disciples are not always on their A game in accomplishing the great commission, but God always gets the job done. Look look over in verse 22, actually verse 21. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and, listen, to hear what you have to say. He's waiting, Peter, to hear what you have to say. I think this makes for an interesting question for us. He's never met Cornelius. It's a strange meeting that gets set up by God. Let's just suppose today you are going to have a strange meeting set up between you and somebody else. You're going to show up in their life, and they're going to be waiting to hear what you have to say. What are you going to say? What's your message? What's your life message? Right? you can have a meeting with a person who you don't know, and you may never see them again. So you have one moment to impart something to their life of value. What's, what are you going to say? What's your message in that moment? It's interesting. Uh, I was talking to one of the pastors. He's been caring for a family that was in the news and had some real tragedy go on in their life. And he and his wife knew the family, and so there was a door opened for them to connect with these folks in a real hour of need in their lives. And so I remember the, the day he was headed to go connect with them. What do you say? What are you going to tell people in that hour when life really, really hurts? Well, it's interesting to see how they've continued to interact with this family and, and what they have to say. They're, they're right here with the Apostle Peter. Got the same message the Apostle Peter has. That's the message. But, question for you. You meet somebody in need, two questions. One, how do you know they're in need? How can you tell they're really in need? Is it because they've lost their job? Their finances are upside down? Is it because they've had a diagnosis that's put a limitation on their lifespan? Is it because they're going through a divorce? Is it because there's been a tragic death in their family? Because none of those things describe Cornelius. None of those things are happening in his life. And yet, Cornelius is a man in need. He's got money, he's got influence, he's religious, but he's a man in need. How how do you tell if people are in need? How do you know if you're in need here today? By checking your checkbook? You went to the doctor recently and things seemed fine? How do you you tell if you're okay? I had one of the guys in the church yesterday tell me about a, a dear friend, elderly man, who had recently conversed with him, recently conversed with his own family. No one knew, no one knew that just within a short period of time, he would take a gun out and commit suicide just the other day. He didn't look like a man in need, but on the inside, he was a man in need. Cornelius didn't look like a man in need, but he was a man in need, so much so that God was orchestrating with angels and apostles in those lo- different locations to come find this man. All right, so you find your person in need. What do you say to them? What's your message? All right, you show up and you interact with their life. Their life's got bumps and bruises going on it, there's pain in it. Well, who do you sound like in that moment? Not really, I'm, I'm serious, because it says a lot about your need. What you have to say, what you have to offer people that's going to, quote, fix them, says a huge amount about your own need. Now question, if after you're meeting with somebody who's, quote, in need, you walk away, who do you sound like? Do you sound like Oprah? Dr. Phil? Montel? You know, he's a pretty sympathetic dude. I mean, you watch these guys. They're like professional I don't know, professional, compassionate advice givers, right? They invite people on to their show, bumps and bruises and all, and then they interact with them, and they give them advice. Last time I checked, right? There's, there's something to be imparted. They give them their life message. But you sound like the apostle Peter. He's about to meet a man in need, and he has a message for him. Look in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. All right, stop and pause for a moment because that's a very important thing to understand. Here's Peter being sent, awakened by an angel, and a sheet illustration to put these two together to bring something to this man, a man who is being described as somebody who feared God, did what was right, and was acceptable to God. So, so is Cornelius okay? He fears God. He's acceptable. Is he all right? Does this throw a wrench And why is Peter coming to him? To congratulate him that he's Okay. No, he's coming because he really does have a need. If you just look over one chapter, Acts chapter 11, verse 13, you'll, you'll see the story about Cornelius being related later. This is how it's explained what happened with him. Verse 13, he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You see that? When you read that one little verse right there, you're reading something small that is huge. That's a small insight with huge implications. Because this man who feared God gave alms, did what was right was, quote, acceptable. Wait, wait. He was acceptable to God. Acceptable for what? Because he's not yet heard this message at this moment. The message that he would hear is the message that would save him. So he's not yet okay. He's not yet fixed. But he's a good man. He's a religious man. He's a nice man. He's a caring man. He does a lot of right things. But he's not right with God yet. So what does it mean for him to be acceptable then? well, I think you find this concept all over the scriptures actually. I think I wrote some of these out. This this idea of anyone who fears God. Fear in the the Bible is a sense of of seeing God accurately. Amazement, awe, and wonder are in this equation. Listen to this thought from Jeremiah. He says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Right? That's a description of a heart that's postured. A certain, that's, if you will, an acceptable heart. Right? You, do you see the implication? You'll search for me and you, you will find me when you look for me with all your heart. Well, What about when I look for you with half my heart? Or just, you know, part-time when I'm not doing other stuff that's really important to me. What if I look for you that way? How's that verse read now? You won't find me. You won't find me until your heart values looking for me. You won't find me until your heart is hungry for me. That's the heart that's acceptable. Then you will find me. Do you understand the acceptableness here in this passage? John 1.12 says he came to his own, his own religious people. But his own received him not. Right? Religious people are not always receptive people. But to as many as did receive him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God, right? A receptive heart. James 4, 6, God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. Is is the condition of the heart acceptable? Is it a humble posture? Because if it's a hard, proud, stiff, I'm good, I don't need anything, well, then God actually says he opposes that person. He doesn't incline himself. That's an unacceptable heart. Isaiah says, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly. That's exactly what Cornelius is about to experience. He hasn't experienced it yet, but he's about to. Because Cornelius is an acceptable man in that he is a broken man. He is a hungry man. He knows that he needs God. And so, therefore, God arranges angels to come to him and sends the Apostle Peter to him, and his heart bursts wide open to hear what God has to say to him. In verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, this is what Peter's telling, preaching good news of peace through Israel. Jesus Christ, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And this is the message, and it always has been the message of the Bible. This is the message of the Bible. It always has been the message of the Bible. Peace with God through Jesus Christ. Now, I don't, if, you, if you maybe didn't grow up reading the Bible or understanding what it was about, the Bible can kind of take on this mysterious strange religious book with all kinds of sayings. People quote them. They quote bits and pieces of them. It's kind of part of folklore. And if you're not careful, you start thinking, well, this is like a book of fables, you know, isn't it? Just like a bunch of stories. There's stories that teach us how to live moral lives, how to treat people right, things that you should do, things that you shouldn't do. And it's just one interesting story after another. And then thrown in there are some, some wise proverbial sayings so that you can kind of be wise in the way in which you do your life. Eh. That's not the Bible. The Bible is the story. The theme of the Bible is the story about God stepping into man falling from a relationship with him and what God did to restore man back to a relationship with him. That's the whole Bible. Every person in it is trying to tell that story, every event in it is trying to tell that story, every prophet. Every lesson, every teaching is trying to tell that story, which is why the entire Bible is about Jesus Christ. Because he is the means through which we get restored to God. So from Genesis to Revelation, this book is about Christ. Look in verse 37. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed the historical significance of a little brief statements. You yourselves know. Peter's message to Cornelius was about stuff he already knew. Cornelius, you know this stuff really happened. You know the truth of it. This is just a short few years after Jesus Christ has been crucified. The people who watched those events, the people who watched his life from Galilee on, the people who saw him do miracle after miracle after miracle, who heard him teach, who watched his life, and then after the cross and the resurrection, people were around for these things. He was able to stand in front of that audience and say, you know, you know what I'm telling you is facts. Because they were facts. They weren't some strange folklore. Sometimes we get the idea that the Bible, again, it's got these you know, it's like Zeus and Pegasus, you know, flying horses and stuff that was just made up. And no one ever really saw this stuff. They just made it up. No, 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 no. These are historic facts. It's the reason why Peter can stand up and say, you already know this. It's the facts. Listen, how ridiculous would it be? This, is, this, is, this would be the difference effect on history. Right? How many of you guys were alive when John F. Kennedy was, was assassinated? So let's suppose that within 10 years of John F. Kennedy being assassinated, this story begins to break about a devout group of people who say he's back from the dead. And, and he's an alien from outer space. (laughs) And he's come to rescue us and take us to a new planet. I mean, I'm sorry, that is actually the gospel, just put in some stupid language, right? Right. Do you really think 100 years from now, 200 years from now, 1,000 years from now, there's going to be this huge following of people who are devoted to the John F. Kennedy who came back from the grave and was an alien from another planet? Do you think anybody's going to be able to say, you know, when you look back at history, one person after another after another debunks that garbage? Wouldn't that be the case? When you read history about Christianity, isn't it interesting that you don't find that anywhere? Instead, you have apostles who stand up and preach, and they say, you know the facts. You know them. And the audience had to sit there and listen and go, yeah. Yeah, listen, I wasn't there, but my brother watched him get crucified. Now, I didn't see it, but my aunt so-and-so encountered him after he came back from the dead. People knew this stuff. And what's interesting here is when you keep reading, God, verse 40, God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God. He's the one appointed by God. That's what Christ actually means. It's a, it's, a, it's a name and a title, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Anointed One, the one appointed to accomplish what all the Bible was about. Right? That's who we're dealing with here. And interesting, some po- folks are going to get to meet him when he was resurrected. Other people, like Cornelius and like us, we're going to get to hear somebody preach the story to us. I know some of us say, well, if I could see him, well, God hasn't appointed you to see him. But God's appointed you to hear him preach to you. And according to God, both fix us. Both save us. Right? What we're about to see here with Cornelius, this man's life is changed. Not because he saw Christ raised from the dead, but because he heard him preached. And his heart came alive. Verse 42. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. All right, let me just tell you real quickly three things to hold on to that, that Peter highlights here for Cornelius to hear. It's the same stuff that you and I need to hear. Here was the message, right? Here's Peter's message. Peter's got one message for people. If Peter met you on the street and he knew you were in need and he'd know not because you looked beat up on the outside, but because he knew the condition of man's hearts needed God, this would be what he'd preach. One, Jesus is the one. He's the appointed one. There's not two, there's not three, there's not a dozen. He's the one appointed because this book is trying to solve a problem. That from Genesis, when men fell from God, man's need wasn't for a great career. It wasn't for a house in the suburbs. It wasn't for penicillin. Man's need from Genesis on was to return to God. That was his need. Cornelius. That's why I can tell you're a man in need. Cornelius, you need to be restored to God. Jesus is the one appointed for you to believe in so that he can restore you to God. That's the message. And then he goes on. He says, this one who's appointed, he's the judge. He's the judge of the living and the dead. This is what Cornelius needed to hear. It is what we need to hear. The one who is appointed is also a judge. He sits on a throne of judgment. If you can get the order of things correct, you have a God who existed before anything existed. He creates all that you can see. And then he puts little people on this little dot planet. And he says, I'm, he breathes life into them. He says, I'm giving you life. I'm going to want it back. I'm giving you a life here. And at the end of that life, you're going to stand before me. And you're going to give an account to me for what you did with that life. You understand, this is... Your life is not up for grabs. Your life is not free for you to use however you'd like. I I'm I'm so, We kind of grow up with that because we live in a free society. The idea that our society gives us permission to pursue whatever career, whatever interest, whoever we want. God doesn't give you that permission. He gave you a life. He intended that life to be lived a certain way. He intended you to believe and do certain things with that life. At the end of that short span of life, you will have an appointment with him. He is the judge of the living and the dead. So right now he is righteously the judge over every one of us in this room. And one day when we die, we will stand before him and he will ask us to give an account. Now The Bible kind of messes with us and it makes us very uncomfortable sometimes. Because it highlights that there's a bunch of things that we do that give away the fact that we have stolen this life from God, hijacked it, and now we're using it for our own purposes. And you discover that when God starts asking you questions about, hey, how'd you treat that person over there? You know, the one of a different race than you? What kind of attitude you got toward them, huh? How'd you treat the person who did you wrong? Forgive them? Desire the best, want them to be blessed, or you have revenge in your heart and unforgiveness and hatred toward them. Hey, you know what? I, I, I allowed for you, you're a wealthy American. I allowed for you to have a lot of money. What would you do with it? How'd you, how'd you use the money that I gave you? So you understand, all these things say something ultimate about us. How'd you use the time? You woke up every day and you had time that you could spend every day of your life. How, how, what'd you do with that time? And listen, whether you and I are paying attention or not, there really is an appointment. It's already on the books. And you and I are going to stand before God. And in that moment, he is going to be this person that Peter is telling Cornelius about. Cornelius, that one, the one you know about who did all these amazing things and came back from the dead. He's the judge of the living and the dead. Cornelius, you're going to give an account for your life. Every moment. Do you know the Bible says that you will answer for every word that came out of your mouth? About to say, I'm not trying to freak you out. I am trying to freak you out. I'm trying to freak you out bad. (laughs) Because you know, when you stand in that moment and you've already got an appointment. I mean, if I had your appointment book, I'd tell you what day it was. I just don't have it. It exists. You have an appointment. I don't want you to stand in that moment in that appointment and go, and that, that, that dude, man, that day that I had all those people being baptized, he didn't tell me nothing about this. No, I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now. Your life is going to go back in the box. And your soul is going to stand before God. And this God is going to judge your life. He's going to say, I gave you a life, what did you do with it? And in that moment, you, you can't list your career accomplishments. You can't pull out your Boy Scout badges. It's going to be about whether your life was about him, the God who created you. That's what your life was supposed to be about. So the last thing he says here. He says, the message declares that anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Anyone who believes receives forgiveness of sins. Now, you know what? I think it's amazing. I think it's terrible that that wouldn't be draft pick number one for a lot of us. How many of y'all ever saw like a, the guy in a movie, he finds a genie in the bottle, right? And he opens it up and he rubs it and pfft, the genie comes out. I grant you three wishes. How many of you have ever heard anybody say, "Well, well, first, before we get to the other two, I would just like to be forgiven of my sins? Anybody ever seen a genie get used that way? Apparently, that's not a big deal to us. The biggest thing accomplished by the cross isn't a big deal to us. Can you imagine? That day, it will be the only thing that matters. But do you understand? Cornelius, in this moment, up until the time that he responds to what he's hearing, is in need. Let me say it better he's in trouble. That nice guy, that religious man, the guy who gave alms, the guy who overcame the bigotry in order to get around something about God needed to be saved by what he was hearing. He needed to put his faith in Christ. His sins needed to be forgiven. That's one of the most confusing things for most people, is explained by Isaiah chapter 59. It says, Behold, the hand of the Lord is not so short that it cannot save. But your sins have made a separation between you and your God, and he not, does not hear you. Now, don't raise your hands. But how many of you feel like, I just feel like God is gone. He's, he's out to lunch from my life. I, I don't feel his nearness. And, and we almost can't figure that out. That's why that Bible verse comes along and says, God's arm's not so short that it cannot save. Why does it start off like that? Because these were people in need who couldn't figure out why God wasn't doing something bigger in their life. God, why aren't you doing something bigger? Don't you see what's going on in my life? Where are you, God? And your life feels like you're alone? Here's why. Your sins have made a separation between you and your God. And he does not hear. Cornelius, I've got great news. I've come all this way to tell you, anyone who puts their faith in Christ, their sins will be forgiven All their sins will be forgiven, Cornelius. Your past sins will be forgiven. Listen, I know in a room this big, there's a lot of us who have become professionals at dodging the accusing voices of our past. And you'd love to sit in this room right now and not be reminded of the things that you did and the people that you failed. Oh, and I know that they were to blame, but deep down inside, when nobody else is participating in the argument, you blame yourself. You know it wasn't all them, was it? You participated. You did some hurting. Oh, you were hurt. But you did some hurting, didn't you? You disappointed some people, didn't you? You had moments where you were selfish and somebody today is hurting because of that. Do you understand? That's what forgiveness of sins is about. The forgiveness of the sins of your past. The ability for God to cleanse you of those sins to where they don't own your life like that anymore. And then to be able to look into a future and know that God has given me a future. And one day when I do stand before him, I'm a forgiven man or woman. Listen, that's the message here. Now, this is how it concludes. Matt, go ahead and come up. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers were among the circumcised. Who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. This, this thing broke out into a party. This man Cornelius finally heard the news that he longed to hear, and joy flooded his heart, and forgiveness from God washed over his soul. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now, I intentionally picked this because you just watched 17 people get baptized. One day, Cornelius was in that number. He heard what you heard this morning. His heart was acceptable. Listen, if there's a point upon which to put my foot down right now, it's where do you find your hearts? God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. God dwells with the lowly to revive the spirit of the lowly. Listen, the question here for you is the same question for Cornelius. Cornelius was a man who was hungry. He knew he needed God. And he was a humble man. When Peter showed up in his house, that Jew, he's a Roman centurion, the Jew who he had conquered and dwelled with authority over that man. Do you know that that man, Cornelius, fell down to his knees and began to worship Peter. Peter had to tell him, "Ah, don't do that, Don't, don't do that. I'm just a man. Listen, that same God, who was risen from the dead has given a message to be preached and you're hearing the message today. And Maybe it wasn't an angel who came to find you to tell you, go go and attend a church service over there in that church. I've got a message for you to hear by which you will be saved. That's what the Bible says about this gospel message. It has the power to save you. It has the power to make your life right with God. It has the power to affect you the way Cornelius was affected. The only question for you today is, do you need it, and will you receive it? Let's stand up together. Lord, I thank you. I thank you when I read this story. I know that you are a personal and intentional God you personally cared about a man named Cornelius. And you worked behind the scenes for that man's life to be postured to receive something from you. And then you sent angels and apostles to give him the message that would transform his life forever. Lord, are there any Corneliuses here this morning? People that you've known them by name. You know their life. You know where they've succeeded. You know where they have a a good name. And you know where they've failed and they feel horrible. God, you know who here is acceptable in the sense that their heart is humble. And they know they need you. Lord, you know who that is here this morning. And Lord, I believe you've already been at work. I read this story. I see the Holy Spirit's at work before anybody goes to pray. Before Peter said, hey, anybody want this? The Holy Spirit was already making it real in people's hearts. Lord, I believe that's true this morning. I believe there's some people here this morning. God, that this morning, the hunger in their heart is finding satisfaction. What they've been looking for and what they feel like is broken, the sense of estrangement, that sense that God is not near to me and I don't know God well is being broken this morning. And while we're just praying here for a moment, I, I want you to be able to respond to God. If you're feeling like God has awakened your own heart this morning, you came in here, maybe right now you're very much in touch with need in your heart. There's a sense of hunger in your soul. But right now, receive from God. Are you hungry? Really? Are you hungry? Did you hear something today that you know you I need? I need that. I need God that way in my life. Don't be confused. You don't need more Cornelius religion, more activity, more do some right things. You need to hear the gospel about who Jesus Christ is and what he did on your behalf. And by faith, right now, open your heart and say, God, I put my hope and my trust in you. I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. Do that right now. that's what's in your heart to do, do it right now. And Cornelius felt that, and he responded, and his world changed. That's you right now. Just close your eyes right now and say, God, here, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. God, help my life. I need you, Lord. I know I need you. God, this morning, this is it right now. Lord, I'm giving you my life. This moment forward, Lord, it belongs to you. Oh, God, come satisfy my soul. You have been what I've needed. You are the one. I put my hope in you. You're the one appointed for me. Come. Listen, if you're here this morning, I want to pray for folks. If you're here this morning that's what God's doing in your heart right now, Could I just ask you to do something bold? I want to ask you to do something as bold as Cornelius. How about that? Cornelius, if he had been in a building like this, would have walked up into that tank right there and would have got baptized. He and his family. All right, I'm not going to ask you to do that. But if God's doing this in your heart right now, would you just come forward and, and just let us pray for you? Let's just pray for you. If that's you this morning, we're going to close in a song, but if you're here this morning, would you let us do that? You Just just come right now. If you're sensing God is doing that in your heart right now, just, just come. Just come and say, God, thank you for meeting me today. Or thank you for sending me a message where I was telling me to go where I could hear good news, good news from my soul. Thank you for doing that in my life. If you're just sensing God do that right now, God is doing something huge. This may seem like just a small moment on a calendar. This is huge. God is breaking into your world. He knows your name. He prepared this day. He made a way for you to be here. He maybe he didn't find you with an angel, but he found you here today. And he's making this real in your life. I want to pray for you. I'm going to need some folks if they wouldn't mind just coming to pray and ask how they can pray specifically for folks who are coming. Anybody else, please. We're going to close on the song in just a moment. If you're just feeling a nudge from God while we're singing this song, you're welcome just to come on up. Let us have a word of prayer with you. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're the God who knows us by name, Lord. How you must have been anticipating the day when a man named Cornelius, you knew him, Lord. And you would work behind the scenes in his life and in the lives of others to make sure that day would happen. Lord, thank you that you're doing that same thing right here this morning. You're making sure That hearts that are hungry get satisfied. Souls that are thirsty find what they're longing for. Lord, they're longing for you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this day on your calendar to prepare us, Lord, for the day, that other appointment we have with you, to stand before you. And We will not be afraid then. We will not fear you as a judge, Lord. For we will have received forgiveness of our sins. Our past failings will be washed away will make us whole. If you'd still like to come, please go ahead and come, and Matt's going to close us in a song. When love came down to earth and made his home with men, the hopeless found a home, the sinner found a friend. Not to the powerful, but to the poor he came, and humble, hungry hearts were satisfied.